grace. We thank you for your majesty and power. We thank you that we can praise your name in confidence because this is praise toward true personhood, a person made up of three persons that oversees all things, that loves us, that has a purpose for our lives. We love you so much. And God, as we now explore what it means to sit under the teaching of doctrine and what it looked like in the early church, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would come into our hearts and convict us if need be, enlighten us, help us to know more about who you are and what your word is, and help us to leave changed this morning Help us to understand that the Bible is a story of redemption. The Bible is a story about Jesus. The Bible is a story about salvation from sin. And as we explore that this morning, I pray that we would be more purposeful than ever that we need to get on mission. And if we don't know Jesus for the first time, maybe a light will go on. So be with us this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray this in your name. Amen. How great thou art. That's a great song, isn't it? So good. Well, I don't know if you're like me, but I sure enjoyed 1 John. What a great book. And I love teaching through 1 John and learning how to be an authentic Christian. And what we learned were some basic principles. We learned that we could abide together, and even with the apostles, in that we are of the family of God. When we abide in Christ, we love, and we are strengthened. But also, in the book of 1 John, we learned that an authentic Christian sins. And if we say that we don't sin, we're a liar. But the good news is, we can be forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness. We learned that... What it means to obey God is to love each other. And when we love each other, we love the children of God. And then toward the end, John goes right back to the theme that he so often wrote about. That is, how Jesus is the Son of God and how he testified about himself. Because John was right there to walk with him. And so for me, as I look at First John, the simple thing I take from it is this. If I... Just abide in Christ. If I just am attached to the vine, that means I will love well. And that means I can go into the future without fear, knowing that he loves me. And so for me, it was all about learning to be attached to Jesus Christ. And now what we're going to do this morning is we're going to begin a short series on how to take that idea of being an authentic Christian and moving it over into the realm of being an authentic Christian community. What does it mean to be a community that follows God? And we're going to take a quick glimpse of the first century church in Acts 2. And we're going to discover how they did church, where their passions lie, and we're going to draw some principles from that. And this morning, I'm going to deal with just the first section of verse 42 regarding that they sat under the teaching of the apostles. And what we're going to see is the doctrine that the apostles taught them was something that they were absolutely captivated by. 
They were enamored by it. They wanted to obey it. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. And here's what I want for you this morning. I want you to understand more deeply what Ridgewood believes, but more importantly, what are the essentials of our faith? Because when you go out there in your daily lives and you're maneuvering through work or school and you're trying to figure out how is this biblical, they're saying it's biblical, but I don't really think it's biblical, or how can this be that you will be confident that you know what you believe? And you'll be confident to have an answer when you're sharing your faith with someone. And so I hope this morning we can take some steps toward that, because what I want for Ridgewood is to become a Bible-based community. We already follow Christ. We already know the Bible. But I want to go deeper. And I want the Bible to lead us to a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to fall in love with Jesus. Because that's what the Bible is all about. So we're going to learn about that this morning. Take your Bibles, if you would. And we're going to begin in Acts 2, verse 42. If you want to grab that Bible in front of you, it's on page 911. And you can open up to that particular passage. So we're back now at the very beginning of the early church. Just starting. And I'm going to deal with just the first half of 42, but I want to read 42 through 47 so we can put everything in context. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack these different areas and practices of the early church that will help us become a strong Bible-based community. So let's begin in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number by day, day by day those who were being saved. Now, that's pretty exciting stuff. But sometimes we fall into this idea that that could only happen back then in the early church. And it's so almost impossible for us to vision our church becoming something like that, where it's growing and and we have everything in common. But I believe the early church is a prescription for what we can do now as a church in the 21st century. And if we look at that over the next few weeks, we're going to see that they were devoted to teaching, that they did fellowship, that they were together, they had all things in common, that they shared meals together and broke bread together, that they prayed together, that they were full of joy and awe of God, and they were missional. And I define missional as being on mission to do what Jesus told them to do, which was to make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. This church was on mission. But today... We're going to talk about the fact they were devoted to teaching. Now you think, this is going to be a very short sermon. 
No, I know how to lengthen one if I have to. But this is really actually important. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. So here's what was happening. This had been a whirlwind for these people. It had only been a few days. And the church had already begun to grow. They had seen Christ crucified. They had seen him rise from the dead. They had seen him ascend after giving them the great commission. And now the Holy Spirit had come upon them at Pentecost. And there was a wind and a fire. And they were on fire. By the way, Holy Spirit has not gone anywhere. So they had experienced this. Peter does this incredible sermon, probably in the temple, but maybe at the house where they were, after Passover, where they hid for so long. And now, here they are, just a few days. 3,000 people, according to verse 31, had been added to their number. So what was going on? What can we learn from them? The first thing that Luke talks about is they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. So let's find out what exactly that means. And the first point I want to make, and this is the broad point, a Bible-based Christian community is also devoted to the apostles' doctrine. Look again here at the wording in verse 42 with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And when I read those few words, there's a couple of them that jump out at me, and I want to know what they're talking about here, what Luke is talking about. I want to know who are they? What do they consist of? Are they like me? I want to know what devoted actually means. What does it mean for me to be devoted to doctrine, devoted to the Word of God? And what exactly does the apostles' teaching consist of? What doctrine were they actually giving these people? And how does that apply to my life? Now, apparently at first, and remember, this is the, if you want to call it, this is the the primitive church. It's only days old. And likely at the beginning, they met daily together. They may have just stayed in the upper room, but they were learning to have church together. And then finally, they began to find their rhythm, weekly services like we do now, both in homes and in synagogues. The, the Jews would meet over here on Saturday, and then in the same place, the Christians would come, and they would meet in the same place, Jewish Christians. And remember, they were making this very hard transition from Judaism to Christianity. They had given their lives to the law following God through the law. Now all of a sudden, here comes this person, Jesus Christ, is saying, no, I'm the fulfillment of the law, you have to follow me. And so this was not easy belief for these people. They were persecuted. They were ridiculed. For many, many, many years, in the early days of the church, they were running for their lives. They didn't really start writing any kind of theology until Constantine came along. And legalized Christianity, then they began to write, then they began to form the doctrine of theology. But at this point, they're on their own. But it was exciting. And God was moving, and things were happening. That's the they. And they devoted themselves. If we look at that word devoted, it's 
a Greek word that means to continue on steadfastly, persisting in, continuing in. And so they were persisting and continuing in the practice of listening to what the apostles were saying to them. In fact, if you look at verse 42 and its whole, it's really a compact description of discipleship. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's like basic Christianity 101. But this is now 2,000 plus years later. And what many would think is this. You walk into a church on a Sunday morning. And they're going to pull out the Bible, and they're going to teach us what the Bible says. And they're going to do it rightly. And they're going to do it with the best intent. Now, all of us who teach the Bible, I'm sure, err along the way. But we, we pray that the Holy Spirit would cover us because we're trying to rightly deliver truth. But that's not obvious anymore. And so we have to know what we believe and why we believe it. Because more and more, culture has invaded the church And you know me well enough to know I am not for separating from culture. I want to engage culture. I want to to get people saved and draw them out of the kingdom of darkness. But we have to do it with a biblical framework that is proper. And so here's what we're going to do. We must understand that our doctrine is entirely biblical. And that's what we have to shoot for. Because, listen, in this world, civilizations, cultural ideas... Morality, it's going to come and go. It's going to be times of peace, times of war. But the truth in Scripture will never change. And so, whatever's happening around us, we can open up our Bible in the morning, and we know that truth is there before us. There are many mornings, because it's really boring in Washington, D.C. right now, The first thing I do when I get up to have my my quiet time in the morning is I actually hop on and make sure the world is still spinning. Because there's a lot of things going on. But the one thing I can be assured of is that when I open my Bible, the truth is there for me. And here's what Jesus said about that. He was convinced of this as well. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And so Jesus was convinced that Scripture, the Word of God, the doctrine of the apostles, was never going to change. And so what I want to do is encourage you in your life that you have a place to go where you can find absolute truth. And I will tell you this, in this culture in which we live where it's, it's, it's immoral, it's, it's devoid of human decency, many of it, it's dangerous, that you're going to get restless, you're going to lose your peace if you try to find something there. Go to the Bible, go to Christ, pray, and then peace will come because this delivers truth. But let's find out exactly what Ridgewood's doctrine is. So... Let's discover Ridgewood's biblically-based doctrine. Now, let me just say this before we start. We're going to go through this really quickly. Guys, we're going to go through this really quickly. Um, The reason I'm doing this is because I want you to know what your church believes first. And 
I want you to be encouraged by what your church believes so that you can come on Sundays and go, yeah, that's a place where I can plug in. That's a place where I'm going to get taught. And that when you go invite people to church, you know they're going to hear the gospel and they're going to be taught. But I also want you to be steeped in Scripture so that you can navigate your life. All right? So let's go through the basic doctrines of Ridgewood Church. The first is the nature of God. There is one God who eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and is the sovereign creator of all things. So we believe that God is made up of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is not modalism that teaches that God manifests himself in three different entities. No, this, these are three persons that willfully act on their own, but in this mystery of the Trinity, come together to make the Godhead. And this is really important, because if we don't believe that Jesus is a person, then who are we worshiping? And I remember looking at a professor one day and saying, okay, in this modalism thing, if God's manifesting himself as Jesus, then what happens when Jesus ascends? Does he disappear? Does he stop existing? We have to believe in the three persons. This also helps us to understand that each has a different role in the Trinity, but each is equal in essence and fully divine, which then goes again back to Christ, who is fully divine. So that's the nature of God. All right, Scripture. God is the final authority as revealed in his perfect, trustworthy, and inspired word, which unfolds his character and his purposes. Scripture is inerrant. We believe that the Bible in its original manuscripts will have absolutely no errors in it. Now, if you picked up the original languages now, you would find maybe a hundred scribal errors. You'd find a, a couple of missed commas that you can compare. But in the original manuscripts, the Bible is without error because it was given by God to the men who wrote it down who were being driven by the Holy Spirit. And so you can trust the Bible that you're reading. Even if there's some differences, you're at a Bible study and... You know, one person's reading out of the NIV, one person's reading out of the New King James, one person's reading out of the ESV, one person has the message, one per, you know, and you're all going like, well, the wording doesn't quite match up. Well, then step back and look at the bulk of the work, and it'll make sense. We can trust the Bible. This also goes to the fact that you can't pick and choose what you want to believe. This goes to the fact that we believe that at the beginning in Genesis, that that's an historical count, account of what actually happened. It's not mythological. It's not written from some pagan cultures after the Exodus. It is historical fact. There is an Adam, there is an Eve, there is sin, and then a flood and so forth. We believe that Scripture is what it says to be. The purpose of God. Everyone and everything has been made by God and for God, and therefore all glory belongs to him. We live for the glory of God. We live to bring praises to God. Jesus made this so clear. Father, I'm here to glorify you. And so we don't live for ourselves or our own self Engrandizement. We don't live to have the biggest church in the Twin Cities to make our name known in social media. We live to glorify God. And 
we want to glorify God because we believe that God is a loving God, a caring God, but an absolutely sovereign God that knows everything and interacts in his purpose constantly. In other words, God's purpose is going forward whether you're going to be involved or not. That's what we believe about God. Human nature. God uniquely created humanity in his own image. This is a beautiful thought. This means that every single person has the image of God, which makes them absolutely invaluable. Every person you meet on the street, every person that you are disgusted by because of what they spouse in their belief system, they are made in the image of God. Sure, it's been scarred by the fall, but it's still there. It means that every human being has intrinsic value. So we seek to love those around us. It's an important doctrine. This goes, this goes to the abortion argument. It goes to euthanasia. It goes to all of these different things that affect human life. We are made in the image of God. It's so important. What do we believe about sin? The world is fallen, and all humanity is separated from God because of sin. We believe not only that we all sin, but we believe that we are inherited sin sinners. We believe that we have taken on original sin because of what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. Why does that matter? Because we have to understand that there is a sin problem that was devised by Satan when he went to the garden to deceive Adam and Eve, and that the only answer to that is the redemptive work on the cross of Jesus Christ. If we don't believe this, then we can ask ourselves the question, then what are we being saved from? A lot of people don't like this idea of inherited sin or original sin because it's not fair. Well, fairness isn't really the point. The point is what's true and what's real. And what's real is you need Jesus Christ or you will be separated from God for all of eternity because we're infected with sin, every single one of us. And by the way, that goes to his virgin birth because he then bypassed the sinful line and was able to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, thus being the sinless lamb. Super important. Which leads us to the nature of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the virgin-born Son of God, simultaneously fully God and fully man, absolutely perfect. We love Jesus. We seek to spread the name of Jesus. We believe that Jesus Christ is the King, the Redeemer, who will come back and conquer evil. We believe that He is the only way to be saved. We believe there is no other pathway. And so if someone wants to have eternal life, we've got to show them Jesus. Because He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You don't come to the Father by any other way but by me. So this is Jesus. We are centered on Jesus. The Bible is the story of Jesus. It's a story of Messiah coming to save the world, all the way to Revelation, which is the story of Messiah conquering evil for the last time. We believe in Jesus. We believe he's divine. He's the son of God. He's not some sissy-looking white guy on a picture. He's real, he's Jewish, and he is the Messiah. All right, let's move on before I get myself in trouble. Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, appeared to many, and ascended to heaven. We believe in all of that. And I want to throw this in. We believe in the 
the substitutionary atonement of Christ. We believe that he substituted for us and his work on the cross atoned for our sin. That is an essential. We can never move off of this, ever. Because if we move away from atonement, then we have moved away from the essentials of Christianity. And if you pick up a book by one of these scholars and the, and the atonement is, is toyed around with, then put it down because it's falsehood. We believe in all of these things. Salvation. Salvation comes through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross plus nothing on the part of humanity. In other words, you are saved by faith through grace. You don't have to work for it. The Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, seals in conversion, gifts, guides, and empowers the believer and the church. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we talk about the Holy Spirit like he's not even in the room. Father, please send the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, it's a perfectly proper prayer, but it's just interesting. Or, boy, I hope the Holy Spirit comes today. Just ask him. He's, he's part of the Godhead. He's equal in essence to the Father. He's a person. So you could say, Holy Spirit, please come. We believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and well. We believe that the Holy Spirit has given you gifts to use for the body. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is convicting us and encouraging us all the time. It's a really important doctrine. The church. The church is the body of Christ, with Christ as the head, and functions to fulfill the mission of God. We are the church, you and I, if we are indwelled by Christ. And so, on, a, on, a, on Thursday night, when there's nobody in the building, this is a building. But when we come together, like this, we are the church. And we will always be the church. And we are connected to all of those who have come before us, which makes the universal church. So you are a part of something magnificent, wonderful, and bigger than you. And that's a beautiful thing. That's the church. Marriage. Important issue. God ordained marriage as an institution solely between, I'm going to insert the word biological man and a biological woman. That's marriage. Now, you want to talk about same-sex marriage, then I would prefer that you take the word marriage off of that because God is the one who gets to define marriage, not us. And so marriage is defined in Genesis. Jesus redefined it between a man and a woman. That's marriage. Let's talk about the creation of man because this goes to the same issue. God made man male and female in his image as part of his perfect creative work. This means that when God created male and female, he sat back and said, this is good. He didn't say, I'm going to make other genders, other ways to explore who, who our identity is. He made male and female and said, this is good. We have to stand on this thing right now in our culture. This doesn't mean that we are mean. This doesn't mean that we're haughty. It doesn't mean that we're arrogant or prideful. It just means that we understand what the Bible says. There's male and there's female. And if we want to help people, we guide them into their identity that God has given them. And I understand there is identity confusion. It happens. But we need people 
like us that can say, listen, let me guide you into Scripture and show you who you really are in God's eyes. We believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's going to return. He's going to proclaim victory. And then we also believe in the eternal state of humanity. All people who have faith in Jesus Christ will spend eternity with God in his kingdom. And all people who do not have faith in Jesus Christ will spend eternity separated from God in hell. That's a biblical truth that we believe. I don't like it. I don't, you know, the worst thing is preaching on hell. I hate that. For one thing, people call you names. You know, fire and brimstone, talks about hell all the time. But it's just an unpleasant topic. But it's real. And we gotta, if, listen, if we don't believe in the existence of hell, then what are we doing? What's the point? Say, oh, let's go get somebody saved. From what? This is in the Bible. If you want more information, here's a good little tool for you. It's called the New City Catechism, forwarded by Tim Keller. It has a really good um, summary of, of, of evangelical belief. And then you can go to our website as well, myrwc.org. You can go to the About Us page. And so these are central truths that were taught by the apostles that we believe at Ridgewood Church. And if you have any questions at all about what we believe, just call up a pastor and say, I need to come to your office. Can we talk a little bit about something I'm confused by? But these early church people were they were absolutely enamored with the teaching of the apostles. They wanted more. They wanted to be fed because this was so unbelievable for them. And they were totally biblical. And so here's another point I want to make. Forsaking proper doctrine. If we want to do this, we will kill our community. If we want to go away from what we know to be the truth, then our community will finally die. Here's what we learned in 1 John 5.2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Put very simply, that if we choose to walk away from biblical doctrine and become culturally relevant, then we will fall apart. Because the way that we love each other is by obeying God. So if we take the obeying God part out and we throw away doctrine, then we aren't going to be able to love each other well. And if you look at statistics, mainline churches that have walked away from true doctrine are dying. I mean, right now, if we wanted to plant, we could go buy a church for practically nothing because there's a bunch of them sitting there empty because they walked away from the doctrine that they should have preached and, and lived by. So this is really important. It also keeps us together. My doctoral dissertation in one of the churches I surveyed about conflict, churches that were in conflict, one respondent said this, The answer to conflict and division in the local church is the understanding and application of the agape principle. And what the agape principle is simple is this. You're more important than me. I choose to love you. I choose to sacrifice for you. Agape love is the highest form of love in Scripture, and it's all about the other person. It's a verb, not an emotion. This, is, this respondent was right on. If we choose to love each other, and if we choose to sacrifice for each other, which is the biblical way, as a Bible-based community, then we will thrive. If we become selfish and preferential, and we have turf wars, we will die. Simple as that. And so we have to really be careful. But conversely, God will bless a church that is devoted to doctrine. 
And, and, and you look at the health of the early church. It's amazing because they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which is doctrine. Now, there's no guarantee that a church is going to be healthy if, if they believe the right things. I mean, I was on a, a national board of a denomination, and I watched all of these churches, and, and there were some really hardcore Bible-thumping churches that went down the drain because you know what they did? Is they, they saw the Bible as the end game, not obeying the Bible. There's a difference. Understanding the Bible should lead to obedience, which should lead to love, which should lead to health in the church. Tom Rainer is a, is, a, is a really good writer, and he blogs about church growth, and he, he got it what the big thing is. The church leadership and the laity need to hold to a high view of Scripture. While holding to a conservative, evangelical perspective of the Bible does not guarantee health in a church, we don't find health in congregations where Scripture is not held as authoritative. This so-called secret has been revealed by many researchers beyond our own work. There's no guarantee of health, but what he's saying is you can pretty much guarantee there's not going to be health if they don't follow the Bible. That's why we must be a Bible-based community. This is the early church meeting together, devoted to the apostles' teaching, loving each other like crazy, and exploding because this is what's going to happen. Mission will happen. If you look at this point, mission will happen in a church that is devoted to doctrine. Let me explain. Church growth gurus have this kind of percentages. They say that a healthy church is normally growing at about 6 to 8% a year. Incredible growth, almost off the chart growth, is 16 to 20% per year. The early church is a few days old, and they've gone from a couple hundred to 3,000. That's not bad. Hard to find a chart for that. I can see the, you know, I can see the church statistics, you know, statistics guy going like, oh, how do you do this? 3,000 people. Why? Because they had something they believed in and they were passionate about it and they were fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exciting. And that's what these people were doing. That's why we're going on mission at Ridgewood. We want to make Jesus known through community impact, because we believe what the Bible says to us. And by the way, if you believe the Bible and obey the Bible, and if we are a Bible-based community, we must understand the Bible in its essence is a missional book. It sends us off on mission to tell the world about Jesus Christ, because God is missional. He sent His Son to save the world. And the Bible says He desires all to be saved. And so if we say we're a Bible-based community, but we're not on mission, then we're not a Bible-based community. We might be a community that knows about the Bible or understands the Bible, but we aren't obeying the Bible. These people were so enamored with it, so devoted to it, they went crazy with it. And we can do the same thing through our community groups and through our compassion ministries that we're setting up. And how do we get into the community? We fall in love with our community. How do we fit into our community? We're still discovering that, though I'm really excited that I'm talking with another church and we're exploring the idea of as the Super Bowl comes near, now we're not going to get together and get tickets for the Super Bowl like Kevin talked about last week, but there's an ugly monster called sex trafficking that is on the radar right now because when the Super Bowl comes, this thing is going to be a huge problem in our community. So we're working with another church to 
and along with the Minnetonka Police Department to hold a sexual sex, uh, a trafficking awareness day. And I, I'm really thrilled because the the Minnetonka Department has reached out to the faith community and they asked a few people to be on the steering committee to see how we could help and work together and they asked me to do that. So that's how you infiltrate the community. That's how you fall in love with the community. One prayer I would ask you to pray, it's really simple. Lord, help me to love my community. Help me to love the people in my community. Help me to love the people who lead my community because that's how we're going to go out and go on mission. So here's the question. How can I help? You might be wondering, what can I do? First thing I would say is this. Serve. Serve is number one. It seems simple, but I know it's hard. It takes time. It takes commitment. But just think about it for a minute. What do I like to do? And, and, and put aside all your churchy stuff like, you know, I can't teach Sunday school. And No. What do you like to do? Well, I don't know. Like, I like sports. That's not churchy. You know what? If you came to me and you said, you know, I, I'm passionate about sports, I would find a way to use you in ministry. Neil would probably go to coffee with you, and by the next day you'd be plugged into some kind of a thing we're doing with sports. What do you want to do? What are you passionate about doing? I know, like, for Wendy, she comes up and leads worship. You don't have to, you don't have to like, put a noose around her and yank her up here. This is how she finds joy, because she knows that this is her calling. What's yours? So we can serve in order to make Jesus known through our Bible-based community. Second thing is this. Become biblically literate. Study the Bible. Get into a Bible study. Get around people who know the Word. And, and don't mess around. You know, like, I, I love devotionals. Like, I do read devotionals. I'm not against devotionals. I read, usually read Charles Spurgeon's devotionals, and I understand about half of them, which is pretty good. And, but I don't stop at a devotional. I want to dig into the Word. So I have this commitment in my life. It's really exciting. I get up in the morning. I go verse by verse. I'm going verse by verse through Colossians. It's been amazing to just go verse by verse and just digging into all of the stuff that's there. Become biblically literate. And by the way, you never stop learning. I don't care if you're 175 years old, which some of you are close. I want you to keep learning. All right? Pray. So why in church have we made prayer the last resort? It should be the first resort. So if you have a heart to pray, then pray and come and gather with other Christians and pray. We have prayer ministry here. This is commanded in the Bible. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray. And then finally, get busy reaching people. Who's in your sphere of influence? Who can you ask to the sister salad thing? Who can you ask to the men's retreat? Who can you ask, how's it going in your life? Get busy reaching people. Because here's the thing. The early church loved and was devoted to the teaching of the apostles, which is basically the word of God as we have it today. And they obeyed and the church exploded. But one of those things that we must understand is that they were fueled by their relationship with Jesus Christ. They had walked with him, seen him. They, his, his ascension was probably only about ten days before Pentecost. That's pretty, pretty recent. That's what should fuel us as well. And I want to just say to you this morning that if you aren't sure, 
that you're following the Bible, if you're confused about who you are in Christ, then just take a few minutes as we sing these last two songs and pray it through. And if you've never come into a relationship with Jesus, now's the time to say, yeah, that sounds like pretty cool stuff, man. I want to be attached to this person who died for my sins. But for all of us, it's time that we get busy. It's time that we submit to the word, which means that we are changing, we are being transformed, and we're going out and getting people saved. God, help us to do that. Help us to not be so selfish. Help us to be always looking for other people. And I know it's hard, and we're tired, and we're busy, and I have that same battle, and I lose the battle many times. But if we are going to be a Bible-based community and we believe what the Bible says, then we have to be out doing mission. So as we sing now, let our hearts be submitted to you. Let us have joy as we worship you. Because the Bible is about you. And we thank you for its truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.